6 p.m. and you're tuned to your community radio station, KVMR FM, Nevada City, KCPC Camino. Today is Monday, July 18th. I'm Annabella Funk, and this is your KVMR Evening News. Coming up on the California Report, abortion providers could face strain from thousands arriving to California seeking reproductive services. And National Native News, a new coding camp for Native girls, aims to increase the number of women in STEM. Coming up, we'll take a look at local news and weather. And local news, according to the Sacramento Bee, new cases of monkeypox have been detected in the Sacramento region, and Sacramento has implemented contact tracing measures. All this and more coming up in the next half hour. This is the California Report. I'm Saul Gonzalez in Los Angeles. In an effort to boost sagging recycling rates, the state has looked to local pilot programs to make it easier for consumers to get that nickel or dime deposit back on bottles and cans they return. But rather than helping people keep items out of landfills, an investigation by the LA nonprofit Consumer Watchdog found the pilot programs aren't really taking off. KCRW's Tara Atrian has the details. More than 40% of the deposit fees California consumers pay aren't refunded, the third lowest among all states with bottle deposits nationwide. The steady disappearance of redemption centers is partly to blame for the meager percentage. One of CalRecycle's solutions to the crisis is to push city and county-based pilot projects, including mobile return efforts. However, Consumer Watchdog's investigation says those initiatives are anything but successful. The group found they're neither convenient nor financially stable. The probe analyzed four bottle return pilots that each got $1 million grants from the state, including initiatives in Culver City and Irvine. None of them are bringing enough recyclables to cover the operational costs of the pilot program itself, and most are less than convenient for people to use to redeem their deposit. As a fix, Consumer Watchdog proposes systematic reform of the entire bottle deposit program, including tapping into supermarkets and beverage makers to refund those nickels and dimes. For the California Report, I'm Tara Atrion in Los Angeles. As more states pass restrictions on abortions, California wants to be a sanctuary state for people seeking to end their pregnancies. But thousands arriving annually from out of state for reproductive services could put a strain on California abortion providers. Some have brought up the possibility of opening clinics on land owned by Native American tribes. But that's not an easy solution. To help explain, the California Report's Keith Mizuguchi spoke with Lauren Van Schil a legal clinic director at the UCLA School of Law. What are some of the challenges that tribal lands here in California are facing if they were asked to open clinics for reproductive services right now? Well, I think the, the primary point of inquiry is the extent to which a tribe itself would seek to open its own abortion clinic, which of course requires navigating all of the internal politics and processes for doing that. The second is that the primary funding source for tribal health care is the Indian Health Service. Akin to the VA, the federal government has an obligation to provide comprehensive health services to Native Americans pursuant to its trust responsibility as well as treaty obligations. That means that the majority of health clinics operating in Indian country are either operated by Indian Health Service or are operated by tribes but funded by Indian Health Service. 
The problem is that because these are 100% federal dollars, they are restricted by the Hyde Amendment, which is a rider on federal appropriations limiting any federal funds from going to abortion care. Effectively, that means that any Indian health clinic is prohibited from providing abortion care services. There are exceptions for rape, incest, and the threat of a mother, but these exceptions are narrow and certainly narrowly applied by IHS. There's no effort right now on the federal level to do away with the Hyde Amendment, is there? Not that I know of. However, that's certainly my initial point of advocacy, especially post-Dobbs, that, you know, I know that there is movement within Congress to provide a statutory protection of abortion care. For Native people, this can and must include lifting the Hyde Amendment because the reality is that Native people have been living under an abortion ban because of the Hyde Amendment since it was passed in the 1970s. For Native American communities here in California, what has healthcare services looked like over the past few decades? And what have been the limitations in terms of access to these services? It's hard to generalize across states, especially a state like California. There are 574 federally recognized tribes in the country, and 109 of them are just here in the state of California. And so the diversity across California makes it hard to generalize, coupled with the large urban population of both California natives, but also members of other tribes that live here in California. That being said, Indian Health Service has been accused anecdotally of being grossly underfunded. This was finally investigated through a series of governmental accountability reports um, over the last decade. And they looked at various ways in which the funding streams come into IHS. A really useful analysis they did compared the funding going to IHS compared to the VA and Medicare and looked at a per patient cost analysis. Compared to those two entities, the amount of dollars that goes to every Native patient is about one-fifth compared to VA patients and Medicare patients. That was the California Report's Keith Mizuguchi speaking with Lauren Van Schulfgaard with UCLA School of Law. Support for the California Report comes from the Wesley Foundation, investing in California's underserved youth. Paint Care. Now with 834 drop-off sites in California where households and businesses can recycle their leftover paint. More at paintcare.org. And Eric and Wendy Schmidt through the Schmidt Family Foundation, working together to create a just world where all people have access to renewable energy, clean air and water, and healthy food. On the web at theschmidt.org. And finally, new stamps honoring mariachis have been released by the U.S. Postal Service. They're the creation of artist Rafael Lopez, who lives and works in both San Diego and Mexico. Each stamp features a performer dressed in traditional mariachi attire, called a traje de charro, and playing one of five instruments. The origins of mariachi music are unclear, but the consensus is that it began in the 18th century in western Mexico, where itinerant musicians made their living traveling from village to village to perform. Artist Lopez describes the effect of mariachi music as magical, leaving people in the festive mood and turning strangers into friends. I can attest to that. The mariachi stamps are being issued as forever stamps, which means they are always equal to whatever it costs to mail a letter. 
And that, listeners, is the California Report for today, Monday, July 18th. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm your host, Saul Gonzalez. Thanks so much for listening, and have a great day. In National Native News, Antonio Gonzalez reports on a coding camp for Native girls that aims to increase the number of Native girls in STEM. A new bill has been signed, allotting over $1 billion to the Navajo Nation for infrastructure purposes. Antonio Gonzalez reports. This is National Native News. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. A 10-week virtual coding camp for Native girls recently started to get more girls interested in STEM. In 2020, only 0.1% of engineers and scientists were Native women. Taylor Stagner reports. The Sisterhood of Native American Coders is in its third year. The group puts together a coding camp for girls 9 to 12 and has participants from 89 different tribes. The group aims to expose young Native students to coding principles. Founder Elizabeth Holm attends Stanford studying computer science. She says the group brings together coding mentors from across the U.S. Our goal is really to get them interested at that young age by exposing it to them, um, showing them how much um, how much fun it can be and like how creative they can be with it, um, and hopefully inspiring them to continue onward um, with STEM. Holmes said that the program was originally in person, but due to the pandemic, moved online, which allowed the group to include more girls. For National Native News, I'm Taylor Stagner. Navajo Nation President Jonathan Nez signed legislation into law on Friday, which provides more than $1 billion for infrastructure projects on the reservation. Federal funds from the American Rescue Plan invest in water projects, electricity, broadband, housing, COVID-19 mitigation, public safety, and local community priorities. A ceremony was held in New Mexico and streamed online. President Nez says jobs are being created. We have our Navajo people living off the Navajo Nation your children, your grandchildren that are building skyscrapers, right? They're building big old stadiums, they're building homes for other people because they have to work out there. But ladies and gentlemen, when we sign this bill, it is time to open back the door to the Navajo Nation and welcome our Navajo professionals and our young people home, right? The signing represents the largest ever investment in infrastructure projects for the Navajo Nation. The legislation was approved by the Tribal Council by a 20 to 2 vote during a special session in June. In 2020, the tribe implemented more than $700 million in federal CARES Act funds, which invested in similar infrastructure projects. Chandeska Chickenaw Community College in North Dakota is celebrating the release of the book Miniwakan, which is described as a language tribute to the Spirit Lake Tribe's traditional language and oral history. Tribal College President Cindy Linquist says the book will be part of curriculum and hopes to engage surrounding communities. Trying to help non-Natives understand Indigenous people and our respective cultures and languages. And then as you get into understanding, there is such richness. There's such commonality among the values. It's the third such book the school has issued, and leaders say it coincides with similar projects carried out by tribal colleges and universities across the country. On Thursday, signed copies will be given away during a public event.
Native American Basketball Invitational Championship Games will be streamed on ESPN+. The games kicked off Sunday in Phoenix, Arizona. More than 400 games will be played this week in Phoenix area gyms. There are more than 130 teams comprised of male and female athletes ages 14 to 19. The games will be available to watch on ESPN Plus Friday and Saturday. Organizers say this will mark the first time an all-Native youth sporting event will be featured on a major sports network. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. National Native News is produced by Kiwanak Broadcast Corporation with funding by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Support for law and justice-related programming provided by Hobbs, Strauss, Dean & Walker, a national law firm dedicated to promoting and defending tribal rights for nearly 40 years. More information available at HobbsStrauss.com. Support by BNSF Railway, proudly supporting the nation's economy by moving the goods that feed, supply, and power communities across the country. More at bnsf.com slash tribal relations. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network. Now let's take a look at your local news. According to the Sacramento Bee, there have been seven new cases of monkeypox detected in Sacramento County, bringing the total count to 21 cases. Sacramento has implemented contact tracing. County Health Advisor Dr. Olivia Casare said in a press statement that Sacramento is expanding preventative vaccine availability to include MSM, men who have sex with men, and members of the transgender community at a high risk of exposure to monkeypox. In Nevada County, 92 new COVID-19 cases were confirmed as of Friday, July 15th. This brings the new county total to 17,941, according to the state dashboard. Public health officials recommend masking indoors. And a trucky woman accused of starting the Butterfield Fire has been arrested on charges of arson and awaits sentencing in the Nevada County Jail. No charges have been filed against Nevada County Sheriff deputies who shot and killed Sage Crawford in front of her two children in February of 2021. Crawford was brandishing a knife during her altercation with deputies. In an after-action report, District Attorney Jesse Wilson stated, The shooting of Ms. Crawford by Deputy Caleb Totterin was justified within the meaning of the law. In an interview with the union, founder of Impact, a social change organization, Leah Schenk asks for justice for Crawford's family and said that a mental health team should have responded to the call instead. Turning now to your local weather and the AQI Air Quality Index. For those in Grass Valley and Nevada City, hopefully this week we'll take a break from the heat wave. Tonight is mostly clear with a low around 68. Tuesday is sunny with a high near 95. The AQI in Grass Valley in Nevada City is good with an AQI of 4. In Truckee and Lake Tahoe, tonight is clear with a low around 53. Tuesday is mostly sunny with a high near 83. The AQI in Truckee is good with a 12 AQI. And then if you're in the valley in Sacramento and Woodland, tonight will be mostly clear skies with a low around 63. Tuesday will be sunny and hot 
with a high near 102. So maybe stay inside because it's not that good to be out in 100 degree weather. The AQI in Sacramento is good at an AQI of 29. You're listening to the Evening News from KVMR. planets affect Earth. Out of this world, All Staller gives a stellar explanation of how to see that late tonight and then next weekend. More from Al. We learn in school that Earth orbits 93 million miles from the sun. But truth be told, that's only an average distance. Our orbit is eccentric, bringing us sometimes closer to the sun, sometimes farther away. Just two weeks ago, Earth reached its farthest point from the sun, 94.5 million miles. We're still pretty much that far out and won't get closer than average for some months. Being at our farthest point from the sun, very obviously, has not had much effect on our daytime temperature, though it does have some effect. If our orbit were more eccentric, if we sometimes drew farther from the sun, then fell closer, the effect would be greater and there are times when that happens. The effect of the moon's gravity on Earth is obvious. The moon pulls the ocean tides upwards. Somewhat less obvious, until you know where to look, is that the moon makes our planet wobble. The star that hovers 24-7 over our North Pole is not permanent. We go through a succession of North Stars over a 24,000-year cycle. Come to the star party, 9 p.m. this Saturday night, at the junction of State Route 49 and the Old Danville Highway, and you will see, with your own eyes, what a huge wobble the moon puts us through. The gravitational effects of the moon are obvious. What about the planets? Calculations have shown that the gravitational pull of planet Venus and Jupiter, together, should push Earth into an eccentricity cycle, in which... Over hundreds of thousands of years, our orbit goes from circular to really eccentric, sometimes super far from the sun, sometimes super close. Geologists have found evidence for such a cycle in rocks from New Jersey, but they could not put a good date on those rocks until, very recently, they found corresponding rocks out in Arizona. The Arizona rocks put a date on the New Jersey rocks and showed that In response to Venus and Jupiter, our climate sometimes goes nuts. While it would be tempting to blame the planets for our current drought, we're just not in that part of the cycle. If you get outside before dawn tomorrow, while the sky is still dark, planet Jupiter will be bright and high in the sky and pulling on us, just to the right of the moon, which is also pulling on us. Keep looking up. For KVMR, I'm Al Stoller. That's our newscast for this Monday, July 18th. Head over to kvmr.org and subscribe to KVMR Podcasts. 
Support for KMUMR comes from its generous listeners and from Atmosphere Design Build, a full-service architecture and construction firm creating distinctively modern, high-performance buildings throughout Northern California, specializing in net-zero energy homes for a low-carbon future. AtmosphereDesignBuild.com And Four Paws Animal Clinic, Dr. Susan Murphy and Sue Lester and staff are proud to support KVMR, providing medical, dental, alternative, and surgical services for our cherished companions. On Searles Avenue in Nevada City, fourpawsac.com. Stay tuned. Coming up next, a live discussion between hosts Keith Porter and Shirley Frerichs, who has an in-depth knowledge of the negative impacts of single-use plastics and a long list of actions each of us can take to reduce the harm they cause to our environment and our climate. Coming up at 7, we have Democracy Now! with Amy Goodman. Thanks for tuning in to KPMR FM Nevada City and KCPC Camino. My name is Annabella Funk and I'm your evening news anchor for KPMR. Signing off. Join us Tuesday at 6 p.m. for another edition of KPMR Evening News.